Well, we saw in the minutes that it was a finely balanced decision by the RBA to lift raise at the last meeting. They're now saying productivity is one of the key measures that they will be focusing on. But lots of countries are struggling to get their productivity back up. We saw that in the UK yesterday. And wages, important too, obviously. We get Aussie wage prices today. Uh, we're hanging out for those numbers. So could that have some impact? And the debt ceiling in the United States, June the 1st, has been reaffirmed as the date when the money runs out with no resolution so far. It's fair to say Joe Biden won't be making a trip down under. It's Wednesday, the 17th of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, another bad day for equity markets. The Dow closed down 1%, 0.6% off the S&P 500. The Nasdaq down 0.2%, 1.4% off the Russell 2000. And a sea of red in Europe as well. The FTSE 100, for example, down a third of 1% at close. Bond yields are pushing higher again. Five basis points added to 10-year treasuries. 30 years got up to 3.9%, which is the highest since late March when we were all really worried about banks. And 10-year German bunds, well, they're up just four basis points, but 12 up 12 basis points in Canada. Aussie 10 years, well, they fell a couple of basis points yesterday, but up about six basis points on futures overnight, up to around 3.47%. The US dollar marginally up this morning, but the Aussie dollar down two-thirds of 1%, down below 67 US cents. Now, the pound is down a third of 1%. The euro down a little as well. Same for the yen. And oil falling again, half percent off WTI and Brent. WTI getting close to $70 a barrel now. Brent below 75. And quite a bit to get through. So, uh, uh, buckle up for the next 15 minutes or so uh, because it's been a busy 24 hours. Here's JB Weir, Sally Old to help us get it get through it all. Uh, and let's start at home with the RBA minutes yesterday. Did we get a feel for how clear the decision was to lift rates? Because obviously it surprised just about everybody uh, and also how likely they are to do it again. Yeah, morning, Phil. Well, I think the minutes were pretty consistent with, um, you know, the commentary that the RBA released earlier in the month when they lifted rates. Um, you know, I think effectively... They're just basically saying, look, you know, services inflation in Australia is elevated. And when we look offshore, what we observe is that in other countries, um, some of this services inflation is proving to be very sticky. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're mindful of that and we don't want that playing out here. Um, the other thing that, that seems to be worrying them a little bit is just this concept of, you know, really low, uh, very average productivity growth and what that is doing to unit labour costs um, pushing them up. And then in any sort of economist model of core inflation, unit labour cost growth you know, is one of the key drivers of inflation or core inflation over the long run. So they're basically saying, look, if wages are running three and a half to four and productivity is not even running at one, then that set of circumstances is not consistent with inflation coming back to, to two and a half. So they're clearly a bit nervous about that. But that's not just the Australian phenomenon, is it? I mean, for example, no, it's not. That's everywhere. Yeah, we're not. We're not. We saw saw in the UK employment numbers uh, yesterday uh, quite a move down in productivity. But does that mean, if that's what they're hanging out for, that they could hold next time? Because uh, unfortunately, unless they get a chance to have a sneak at the numbers before everybody else, the productivity data comes out the same with the GDP data, which (laughs) is the day after the next meeting. The day after, yeah, yeah. So look, they could they could pause in June and and. you know, wait for the data and and also by early June we're meant to have the minimum wage decision. So there's not a, a sort of definite date that that gets released, but it should be done by early June. So there is a fair bit of data for them to come. And then, of course, in July, you get the next set of inflation numbers. So it's possible, you know, that they um, they wait a couple of months until they've got the full suite of information in front of them. Um, but ultimately, I don't think 
you know, in, in sort of two years' time, it's really going to matter whether they go in June, July or August. I think what they've really done is just put the market on notice to say, we're not finished necessarily. Yeah. You know, further yeah. tightening may be required, as they said. Well, certainly um, NAB's expectation now is 4.1%, isn't it? W- with the risk that it could actually go higher than that. So inflation gets down to 4% by the end of next year, but at the cost of higher employment and the fact that we are going to go at least to 4.1%. Yeah, that's right. So I think, um, you know, the, the NAB economists have have you know held, had a view a couple of months ago that that's where they were going and then sort of stepped back from it and now put it back on the table um, that the RBA is not quite done and, and that it makes sense to look at a cash rate with a, a four in front of it. And I think economists are slowly coming around to the possibility that we might not be finished at, you know, 3.85. Um, but having said that, you know, the market's still pretty reluctant to price too much in um, to to the Aussie front end and hasn't even priced in a cash rate above 4%. So, you know, should the data continue to go in the way of pointing towards more rate hikes, you would expect that there's a bit more that front-end rates in, in Australia could do to reflect that possibility. And here's a surprise, Sally. Uh, as you push up rates, consumer sentiment falls. Who would have thought that? So uh, <laughs> we saw that in May, reversing the rise that we saw in April. I think the survey period included the last RBA meeting. So I'm not quite sure how far through the survey they were. But it also, I mean, actually, the you know, consentiment could have fallen even further, perhaps. But, I mean, it's clear... Uh, how dependent it is on those people who've got, uh, you know, uh, tied up in mortgages because that rate is so different. It's the highest spread now, I think, ever between uh, those with a mortgage and those who own a home outright. So the overall uh, confidence reading is 70.9, but it's 72.5 for those with a mortgage and 87.3 for those who've paid it off. Yeah, no surprises there, I guess. Um, no. Yeah, so consumer... Con- but, but a pronounced difference. Yeah, very much so. Um, <clears throat> consumer confidence was down 8% in the month, but it's a pretty decent move. But it's basically just been in a bit of a sawtooth pattern really since September of last year, so sort of up and down um, month to month. So I, I don't know that it tells us much more than what you articulated no. you know, 30 seconds ago, which is that if you've got a mortgage, you wouldn't have been very happy in May. Um, and, it, and, so, and the prospect you know. of m- m- much more to come. Absolutely. It doesn't tell us anything. So let's, let's, so let's go and have a look at the UK then very quickly. So that productivity number I mentioned, Q1Q down 1.4%. Uh, and the number of people inactive because of long-term sickness is at an all-time high in the UK as well. Uh, it, in fact, it's, it's a curious dichotomy, uh, these uh, UK employment numbers, because we saw 136,000 people come off payrolls, but 182,000 more people employed, which I would have thought suggests a, a more of a casualization of the uh, of the workforce. Then claims have risen sharply. Average earnings have picked up a little to 6.7%. And the unemployment rate went from 3.8% to 3.9%. So um, a bit of conflicting data there. It feels like you can interpret that data any way you want, which, of course, is what economists love. That's right, on the one hand and on the other. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in that UK labour market. Um, but I think the, the interesting thing... For me is that you're exactly right so when you look at the split between what sort of jobs are being created in the uk labor market all the growth is in part-time jobs um mm. which i guess could possibly reflect that casualization of the the labor force what's also interesting is that you know economists have been really quite pessimistic on the supply side of the uk economy um in the wake of brexit and what we're starting to see is the participation rate in the uk labor market um, go up. So it's risen seven tenths of a percent just in the last six months, you know, albeit off pretty low levels. But it sort of tells you that you're getting like maybe a mini revival in labour supply um, in the UK, which 
I don't think really will make a difference to the outlook for the Bank of England policy rate, but at the margin might give them a little bit of comfort that some of the tightness in the UK labour market is actually starting to to ease up um, a little bit. So, yeah, there were some big moves and all sorts of things in, in that release overnight. So I think it'll probably take another couple of months of data before the Bank of England is is confident in sort of drawing some um, some sort of broad thematics from what's going on. Well, perhaps more relevant for Australia, the Chinese data yesterday. So retail mm. sales picked up a bit up to 18.4% year on year. Uh, the unemployment rate fell a little to 5.2%, but fixed asset investment fell and industrial production as well uh, at 5.6% year on year is well down from the 10.9% expected, even though it's up on March. Uh, so, uh, yeah, not good news. But then this is where the government and the PBOC step in, of course, and try and boost that investment and production. Uh, presumably that's the next chapter in this. Yeah, so it's interesting because the year-on-year numbers are, are really big uh, for those April data releases, and that just reflects base effects. So if we think back to April last Last year, like large chunks of China were still locked down. So we shouldn't sort of get too excited about those big year on year numbers. Um, when we look at sort of what the monthly, what they imply for the monthly change, the data were really weak across the board um, by a big margin relative to expectations. And that in itself is quite unusual. You know, normally um, if there's any sort of surprise in the China data, it's maybe a little bit to the upside or a little bit to the downside. But these are really big misses. And what they tell us is that. It looks like that whole sort of reopening recovery story has lost significant momentum in the first month of, of the second quarter. Um, as you say, interesting, you know, in the sense that earlier this week, the PBOC met to, to consider the level of rates in China, left them unchanged. Um, my sense would have been they, they probably knew what these numbers look like. So I think that's interesting in itself. Um, but a lot of the softness was still concentrated in housing. And so, you know, my sense would be that at some point in the next little while, we are going to get some um, policy initiatives, I think, by authorities over in China, at the very least, just to sort of try and help stabilise housing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, what they tell us without getting sort of too complex about it is that, um, you know, growth is, is slowing quite sharply in China. And so economists in the wake of yesterday's numbers have revised down their GDP forecasts for the first quarter and also for 2023 um, as a whole. So those numbers were sitting sort of comfortably above six for calendar 23. And, and now, you know, you're starting to see economists get out their red pen and put a, a five in front of the, the current year GDP forecast. And we've seen a local reaction to that. I mean, obviously, I mean, Australia still responds when we see weak data, particularly coming out of China. Mm, that's right. So, you know, Aussie dollar, which had had a little run up to 67 cents, um, is, is now off half a cent sort of hanging around the, the mid-66s. So it just sort of, I guess, further entrenches us in that range that Aussie's been stuck in um, for quite a while now, which is, you know, somewhere between 66 and, and 68 yeah. cents. Doesn't mm. want to get any higher, does it? That's, That's right. for sure. Not yet. So uh, more of a slowdown in Europe uh, or more signs of it. So we knew GDP was coming in at 0.1% Q on Q because it's, it, well, it's the second estimate uh, and nothing's changed. But the ZOO, uh, the ZEW Economic Sentiment Index for the euro area, 6.4 last time, it was expected to move to minus one. It actually moved to minus 9.4 and the German number moved from 4.1, positive 4.1, down to minus 10.7. Interestingly, the zoo president um, said it wasn't just rate hikes by the ECB that was driving this number. 
he named the potential default in the United States, adding to to the uncertainty. I mean, the rest of the world's just certain. You blame someone else, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. It's America that's doing this to us. I thought the rest of the world was just going, oh, it'll get sorted out. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, European GDP, you know, was, was up one-tenth of a percent um, in the first quarter of 2023, which sort of given the... I guess the enthusiasm around, um, you know, the European economic outlook, you know, after sort of got through winter and, and energy prices weren't any anywhere near as drastically high as everyone was worried would be the case, sort of feels a bit lacklustre, um, you know, sort of tells you that basically the economy stalled in, in the first quarter. Um, so that's, and, and I think also probably doesn't sit right well with some of the, the PMI numbers in Europe, which tend to track the GDP story pretty closely. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and the ZEW survey is one that is is pretty well watched. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, those numbers came in weaker than expected. So maybe it does sort of point to a bit of a loss in momentum in European growth, which is sort of not what I guess the consensus was expecting. You know, people were sort of like the US is going to slow in the second quarter, but other places like Europe would do a lot better. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that that sort of view starts to get challenged. Yeah, but bad news is good news if it brings down inflation, isn't it? So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, Janet Yellen has uh, spoken out again, just talking about the, the the debt ceiling. Spoken out again overnight, saying that 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 default could happen as soon as June the first. There is no resolution in the talks between Biden and McCarthy. I think they're going at it again today. But then, of course, uh, Joe Biden is off uh, to the G seven in Japan. I think he's going to skip his visit to Australia. Uh, so probably no movement at all on this, and unless you know something surprising happens there. Uh, uh, today their time but otherwise uh, it's going to be uh, next week i mean talk about the last gasp have, have we ever been this close before oh, we got pretty close in in 2011 and that that turned out to be pretty disruptive for financial markets so you know there are people pointing to that period and saying oh maybe we could get something similar i think um you know the problem is it all comes down to incentives right so neither side really is incentivized um not to lift the debt ceiling um, but mm. certainly the Republicans are incentivized to leverage this situation as much as they possibly can um, and, and not come to a deal until the 11th hour. So sort of feel like the story is one where um, the noise will continue and probably get louder as we approach that, um, you know, X date, as they call it, which Yellen is saying, you know, could possibly be the 1st of, the 1st of June. Um, yeah. But ultimately, the deal gets done. <clears throat> I wonder if they're even meeting. I mean, you'd be thinking, look, you know, we have to meet, but we're not going to reach a resolution. Let's let's just tell let's just tell everyone we met, uh, and I'll see you on the morning of uh, June the first. Uh, look, uh, let's look at uh, Canada. Bond yields up quite a bit this morning. Mm. Uh, we did see the headline inflation. I mean, it's a different story for the for the core rate, which I, th- I think is down or steady anyway. But the headline inflation rate. In April, uh, with the numbers out last night, up 0.7% month on month from 0.5% last time. The expectation was it was going to fall 0.4%. So this puts a lot of pressure on the Bank of Canada, doesn't it? I mean, they, they held at 4.5% last time, uh, but it's, it certainly looks like it's not over for them yet. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the headline CPI numbers had been very well behaved, basically, for the last four or five months Um where, you know, the monthly numbers were, were reasonably tame. And so this one was a bit of a surprise um, and as you say, saw headline inflation come in stronger than expected. Expected, I guess the the sort of good news was that all of the three Bank of Canada's core inflation measures decelerated in April um, by a little bit, and yeah. and so that I guess 
would give the Bank of Canada, you know, some confidence that its narrative that inflation's coming back down, you know, that that story is is still in train. But the Bank of Canada has been pretty clear that they are sort of hawkishly pausing. So they're not at the point where they're saying we're definitely done and we're comfortable that at some point in the future, the next move in rates is down. That is not the narrative they've been telling markets. They're saying we're on hold, but we're pretty vigilant. And if things don't go with go as planned, um, we'll be back with, with rate hikes. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what happens at their next meeting on the on the 7th of June um, because, you know, I think rightly so, most of these central banks, whether it's the Canadians or the Australians or whoever, um, are going to remain pretty sensitive to any upside surprises in the inflation story. Yeah. Um, the, the word pivot hasn't been used for a while, has it now? Yeah. Uh, so uh, finally, there's so much <laughs> over the last day. Uh, <laughs> so let's quickly get through this because it was a mix of US data. So retail sales were up in April, although not as much as expected after quite a fall in March, of course. But industrial production and manufacturing production higher than anticipated. And the housing market index, the NAHB index, up from 45 to 50 because the NAHB says uh, limited inventory is giving builder sentiment a mm. boost. But, you know, if they build if they build it, will they come? That is the big question. Absolutely. So I think, you know, there was a fair bit of data out last night. On net, I think it was generally favourable. So, yes, the headline retail numbers were a bit uh, weaker than expected, but the, um, the US also had this other measure called their control group. Um, and that's the one that really relates to how consumption tracks in the national accounts. And that number actually came in stronger than expected um, a lot of it driven by e-commerce mm. or online shopping, interestingly. So most economists are saying, look, for April, we think that real consumption, so when we adjust for changes in prices, was up half a percent, which is pretty decent um, for a monthly number. And so I think, you know, last night's numbers were, were generally pretty good. And, and the fact that housing is starting to come back. So the, the NAHB survey, um, <clears throat> I think, has now risen 19 points since its trough in December of last year. And as you said, helped by low levels of inventory and also that decline in long-end um, mortgage rates um, over the last couple of months as well. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, and housing starts today mm. and building permits as well, plus uh, Q1 GDP for Japan. But the real focus for us, obviously, and for the RBA, uh, what does it mean for them? We get the uh, the Australian wage price index today. So a lot of attention on that. Yeah, that's right. So that only comes once a quarter. So like you said, a lot of attention on it. Mm. Market's looking for a rise of nine-tenths of a percent um, for the first quarter of this year. And that's that's broadly what the RBA are expecting as well. Um, so I think that gives you a pretty solid benchmark by which we sort of assess the numbers uh, in a couple of hours. And if it comes in at, the, at those, those sorts of levels, the annual rate will be about 3.6%, which is, you know, if you've got a productivity growth of 1%, broadly consistent with a 2.5% inflation target. So the numbers come in, you know, as expected, then I think, um, you know, that will basically give the market some confidence that the RBA, you know, might skip um, the June meeting, um, but anything you know higher than that, then I think the market will definitely be on notice that they could they could go again. The so, yeah. yes, yeah. Right. Okay, all question of timing. All right. Well, there's that to look out for. Uh, Fed speakers as well. So Bostick and Goldsby uh, not together, but they are talking. So actually, they sound like they're a great double. It sounds like a uh, <laughs> like a 1970s folk band, Foster and Goldsby, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sure I've got some of their LPs. Indeed. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're, they're talking as well. Uh, look, Rodrigo's on tomorrow, uh, but we get you again next week, Sally. So we'll, we'll talk then. I know. Yeah.
All right. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Phil. Sorry we took too much of your time today. There was a lot to cover. Uh, That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.